Patrick Fendaro here with Franchise Finding Season 2. Together with my brother Jack, we're going to be going through some of the largest franchises as well as up-and-coming franchises to see if they're a good investment. We look at the franchise costs, the revenue, historical profits, failure rate, and other really important metrics to consider before investing in a franchise. So if you're looking to buy a franchise or think about a startup or an existing business, listen to our podcast as with little time, you'll be able to evaluate a franchise is the right entrepreneurial path for you. Hey, you have Patrick Fendaro here, co-founder at Vetted Biz. I'm here today with Bruce Turkel. He's a Miami-based advertising executive and he does brand consulting across the world. He's also a keynote speaker and he's has six published books. The most recent one, is that all there is? So we're excited to have Bruce on. Um, he has franchise experience, small business experience, advertising experience. And today's focus is how to increase your, your investment, your return on investment for that small business or franchise. So Bruce, really appreciate having you on today. Thank you for the invitation, Patrick. I'm very happy to be here. And, you know, first off, I, I give a very brief intro about yourself, but I'd like to just hear a bit more about your, your business background, especially on the franchising side. Sure. Um, when I was a kid, my dad was a builder on Miami Beach. And well, nobody would know this, but in 1966, when I was very young, there was a moratorium on building on the beach and my father huh. had to stop. My grandfather had moved down from New York, his father-in-law. And they opened a fruit stand together, fruit, juice, that sort of thing, which eventually became the Orange Bowl. The Orange Bowl was a snack bar with hot dogs, pizza, soft serve ice cream and sodas. And it was, I mentioned 1966 because it's important. It was when the shopping center business was just starting in the United States. And my dad had the idea of putting these snack bars in shopping centers. And then, wow. you know, all those years later, when I graduated from college, he had a couple hundred around hmm. the country. Most of them were franchised. He owned some company stores, which I worked in through high school and college. And I mean, I could work in restaurants. I, I worked in all their restaurants. But when I got out of college, I had a design degree and I worked in agencies in New York for a while. And then I came and worked for my dad and I ran uh, franchisee marketing. So I spent time working with the franchisees so they could take advantage of what the franchisor who was my family, uh, provided. And I did that for a number of years. And then my dad started to do different things with the company. And then I went back to the agency business, worked in a number of agencies and started my own agency. And it'd be no surprise that we did lots of work in the franchise space. We worked for Burger King. We worked for TCBY. Wow. Uh, we worked for Sabaros. I'll think of more because I knew the business. I also worked in the tourism business because I grew up on Miami Beach and I had always been a pool boy or a lifeguard when I was, when I was in school. And eventually I built the agency. We had offices throughout Latin America. Our main office was here in Miami. I sold it to my partner about six years ago and set off on this new journey of rediscovery. I had written a bunch of books on branding and marketing. I wrote a new book on people who look to change their lives. And then I speak at conferences around the world on how to build profitable brands. And I speak at lots of um, um, QSRs, QSR groups, and also lots of franchise groups across different industries on this strange phenomenon that I don't think a lot of franchisees or franchisors understand, which is as a franchisee, you invested a lot of money in getting the rights to the systems, the For branding, sure. the marketing. Costs. 
20k and then every franchise, franchise fee and then every franchisee wants to do their own thing and it always <laughs> boggles my mind uh you just paid for this system and now you're going to go do your own thing when there's such a clear opportunity to take what you've paid for use the heck out of that i mean really work it and then figure out what you can add to enhance it. So as I said, I speak in a lot of those kind of groups. I would name names, but I don't know that that's appropriate, but usually multi-location restaurants, um, hotels, any kind of flag business where the owner, the operator paid for the flag and then how do they best market it? So yeah, you have the experience on the franchisor level, sitting down with franchisees, relatively small, unit systems of 50 units, 200 units to thousands of thousands of locations. So yeah, there's a lot to discuss today. Um, but I think we can kind of focus on, yeah, maximizing that investment. So you've paid the franchise fee, you've invested additional funds into the build out if it's a physical location type of a restaurant or fitness business. How can you get your return on investment back and, and then build upon that brand? So I love the way you said it, get your investment back and then build upon the brand. That's what people don't think about. It's a multi-step process. Number one, you paid for it. You bought it. You invest in it. As the old saying goes, you put your money where your mouth is, right? Yeah. So use it, work it. I don't understand why so many franchisees I speak to say, you know, I have a better idea. I'm sure you do, but... The folks you bought from, and there's good ones and bad ones, let's face it, but you know, most of them that have survived the test of time have kind of figured it out. And what you bought was the ability not to make mistakes, the ability to step into a system that works. So use it. The old story, it's probably apocryphal, but the old story about um, uh, Colonel Sanders is that when Harlan Sanders started Kentucky Fried Chicken, he said, I'm going to open one store and make it perfect hmm. before I open my second store. Because if you have a mistake, when you open two stores, you have two mistakes. And then you have four stores, you have four mistakes, and then eight mistakes, and then 16 mistakes. And it grows by geometric progression. My dad always said, your second restaurant ruins your first hmm. because you're so busy now dealing with the second one that you've forgotten all the fundamentals from the first one. I've seen that a lot too with even some local Miami chains where their first location's doing incredibly well, 200K, 300K that the owner is taking out of the business. And then they, they start opening up multiple locations and they kind of don't, they, they lose focus and they kind of get into leases or spaces that maybe they, they shouldn't be in. Well, because of, there's a number of sins you just brought up, Patrick. Number one is the sin of overhead. No business does better when you have more overhead. Mm -hmm. And we never think of this as we start a business, right? Because we all have some degree of insecurity or some need to prove ourselves or whatever. So when I have the fancy office, when I have the multiple locations, when I have, then we're going to really look impressive, right? But the customer doesn't care. No. The customer only cares about the momentary purchase they're making. And so all of this investment and in expanded overhead really just adds more pressure to you to have to perform and increases your need for volume without giving you a um, according a increase of quality. You just, I need more, I need more, I need more because I keep buying more, I gotta pay for more. So number two, you have a loss of focus. 
-hmm. You can have one store that's a jewel, a gem, and you're there and you're an owner operator and you're managing. You open a second store, now your division, your attention rather is divided. Now you might find the right people, but your attention is divided. And then you open three and then you open four and so on and so forth. And then if you go back to the original sin that I mentioned, that you are not following the systems because, hey, I can do this better. Then number one, you're not taking advantage of what's there to help you. And number two, you're not uh, maximizing your investment. You paid for it. Listen, I'm not suggesting you should do that. If you know how to do what you're doing, don't open a franchise. Yeah, don't sign, up for the fran don't sign up for that franchise. Right, exactly. But once you've made that decision, whether it was a good decision or not, you never want to then throw that away and start from scratch. So those multiple locations, they can be very successful, very profitable, and very lucrative. But they also can chip away at what you worked so hard to build. This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Franchise Brokers Association, also known as FBA. They provide custom guidance for franchise buyers in the U.S. FBA has over 100 certified franchise specialists as part of their network, currently working with 350 plus franchise brands. Click the link in the description section to learn how they can help you find the right franchise. FBA has over 15 years of experience. They've placed 2,000 plus franchisees across the United States. They take a very personalized approach to selecting and analyzing the best franchise for you. Their approach is also backed by the data that we have at Vetted Biz. So if you're interested in buying or at least exploring a franchise, start your franchise search today with FBA. And again, you can click on the link in the description section for more info. For the Orange Bowl franchise that your, your father founded and you helped grow, did the franchisees typically start with one location, grow it, and then open up a, a, a second one? Or how did yeah, that succeed? Exactly, exactly right. Um, they, they, and there were some, especially in small markets, that were single owner operators who had a lifestyle business, a husband exactly. and wife. Maybe they retired from civil service or something. They had some money. They paid the fee. They opened the location. We found them the location. We opened the store. We built it out. My dad was a developer after all, so he built out these stores. And then they, they operated them for years and years, and they did really well. Then there were other people who either had much bigger investment or much bigger um, ambitions or had access to a box of money, and they would come and buy a region. You know, So they would buy the Atlanta area or they would buy the Washington, D.C. area. And there were franchisees who had that. And then as new shopping centers popped up, they had first rights of refusal huh. for those locations within that geographic area. And there were even a couple who took on multiple geographic uh, exclusivities. However, keep in mind, that means you're doing something very different than running a business, right? I mean, you're still running a business, but running a location. Now you're running the business. Um, if you read the E-Myth Revisited by Michael, by Michael, um, um, just forgot his name. I'll think of Gerber, Michael Gerber. He says, work on your business, not in your business. And his whole point is that you cannot be behind the counter serving pizzas or handing people their dry cleaning or installing the gutters and the roofs or whatever your franchise is. At some point as you grow, you are running a business. The actual function of what your business does needs to be done by others. He calls them technicians. You need to become the manager that oversees, that oversees the whole thing.
when do you see that happening? Is it like when you open up a second location or is there a typical like a revenue threshold? Like if you pass half a million that you're more than- No, I would say it's, it's, it depends on what your ambition is. If you want to run a lifestyle business, let's say you love to bake, you want yeah. to be a baker. So you open a bakery, but you decide, I don't want to open my own. So I'm going to buy a bakery franchise and you can pick the one you want. Not a Panera or something that is, that is multi-product, but actually a bakery. Sure. Well, if you have one, you can bake. Yeah, you got to run your business, but you can bake. But as soon as you have more than one, no, you can't. You can't be there covered in flour, covered in blueberry, blueberry jam on your apron, making the best pies in town. You have to teach other people to do it. So you can go out and run your business. If you are opening a landscaping uh, franchise, if you love plants and you love being outdoors and you want to plant and you want to be on your knees with those pads on and digging, great. But don't open a big business then because that's not what you're doing. I mean, I talk to people all the time who tell me, oh, I love to cook. I'm going to go open a restaurant. And pardon my vulgarity. I'll try not to use any curse words. But I always say to them, do you like to have sex? And they say, what? And I say, do you enjoy sex? And they go, well, um, well, uh, yeah. yeah. I say, well, did you ever have any interest in being a prostitute? Because they get paid for having sex. They go, what are you talking about? I go, well, if you love sports and you open a chain of sporting goods stores, guess what? That's what you're doing. Because you're not playing sports. If you love to bake, but you open a chain of bakeries, guess what? You're not baking. You're managing people. So, what's that? Exactly. <laughs> you're, managing you're a business people. person. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's actually good, but you need to accept it. You can't believe that your hobby and your profession are going to be the same thing unless you're going to open a small artisan-oriented, craft-oriented location where you can bake or you can play music in your music store yeah. or you and can probably your take income potential is going to be capped, but if you're right. okay. But you're doing, and there's nothing that. wrong with that. Yeah. You're doing what you want to do. And it's a very comfortable lifestyle business. You love parrots. You open the birdhouse and you have all these birds in there. Great. Wonderful. You love art. You open an art gallery. Wonderful. But don't expect then that you're opening a multi-location chain because then you're not doing whatever it is you like to do. So with franchising, it seems like a lot of the relationships uh, struggles with the franchisor and franchisees can just be the miss not having the right expectation and the right intention when they, well, when they start I opening and developing. I think failure to manage expectations is the big issue of the franchisor because they're in a sales mode, right? Just like you are when you run your business, they want you to buy their franchise. Therefore they now, of course there's regulations and there's honesty and everything else. They have to be honest about it, but they're in sales mode. So they're not entirely managing expectations. They are managing desires, right? Oh, I desire to be rich and successful. I desire to pay a franchise fee and then have this whole business. That's the franchisor's failure to manage expectations. The franchisee's problem is they don't actually think that once they pay for the system and the business, they then have to do anything. What are you talking about? I paid for the system to repair the sliding glass doors or to change oil or whatever. I don't have to do anything now, right? They did it. No, nonsense. All they did was give you the infrastructure to work within. You still have to you sell, execute. manage, 
execute exactly. So you have this diametric opposition of both sides, the old immovable force and the unstoppable object. And when they hit, you can have problems. Well said. So a situation where the franchisee signed up, knows what they're getting into, following the franchisor, how can they increase their sales? Are there, what are some ways that you can fast track sales and leverage, leveraging your experience with advertising, relationship marketing? What, what do you see there? Well, there's a number of ways, but before you do that, what I tell everybody is you don't need advertising. You don't need social media. You don't need marketing. You need a strategy. Yes. You need to know what you're trying to accomplish. Case in point. Let's say you purchase a hotel flag. You have the property, they give you the plans, you build the building, you fund it, and you open it. And then you call me when I, no longer, please don't, but when I own my <laughs> ad agency, and uh, I, I come in and I'd say, what do you want? Why'd you call an ad agency? And what are you going to say? I want more business. Right? I want more business. Yeah, yeah, I want more business. And then I say, okay, what kind of, you want more business? Like you want more people to come to your hotel? And you say, yes. And I say, great, cut your room rates in half. And they say, what? And I say, cut your room rates in half. What are you talking about? Well, if you cut your room rates in half, twice as more many clients, people will come to your occupancy. hotel. And they say, oh, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I want to make more money per room. Go, oh, okay. Well, then double your room rates. What? <laughs> double your room rates. And then every time you sell a room night, you make twice as much money. They go, yeah, but I'm going to lose. Right. But you didn't say that. So what you want is to increase your rev par, revenue per available room, the way hotels make money. You count the keys, the doors, the rooms, whatever you want to call it, times the occupancy, times room rate, and there's your rev. Oh, you want to increase rev par. So that's different. So now let's move that to restaurants. Let's talk QSR and up, not necessarily fast food, although it applies there as well. But you want more people in your restaurant or do you want higher check average? Yeah. Because you can bring more people in, but if they don't spend money and they just hang around, it just costs you money, right? You really want to increase check average. They say, what do you mean? I said, well, people are already coming. How do you get them to spend more money? They say, well, that's a good question. How do I do that? Uh, you upsell, you offer specials, or, I mean, I was a waiter for years. My parents also had fine restaurants and you... At the end of the meal, you don't say who wants coffee because most people go, no, you know what? It's late. I don't have time. Instead, you say, let's say it's a table of six. You say, by the way, I don't know if you know, but we really make wonderful cappuccinos. Someone is going to say, oh, my God, I love cappuccino. I'll have one. At which point the person next to them goes, oh, yeah, I'll have one, too. Then the third person will say, do you have decaf yeah, cappuccino? Yes, of course. And then the fourth person, oh, do you have low fat decaf cappuccino? Yes. Now you've just sold six cappuccinos. A cappuccino is six bucks. You can multiply six times six. Your check average just went up $36. By the way, cappuccino has the same ingredients as a cup of coffee, right? Coffee, water, milk, and sugar. Same ingredients. It's got a bit more labor, but you're paying for it anyways. So you just went from at a maximum six cups of coffee at two bucks a piece, $12, to six cappuccinos at six bucks a piece, $36. You just tripled that portion of your check average. But what else happens? Then you say, well, should I bring a uh, slice of cheesecake with, a, with six spoons? Well, they would have said no before, but now that they're having cappuccinos, they go, yes. But then someone says, 
No, I don't. Don't bring six spoons. I'm not sharing it with him. So now no, you just three, right? You just sold three cheesecakes, which let's say your cheesecake is five to seven dollars. You just bumped your check average another twenty one dollars. Your check average just went up fifty bucks. Think about that. What that means if you do that on every other table, you don't need any new customers at all, and you can do that fast food. You can do that fancy dining. You can do that in a dry cleaner. You can do that in a bowling alley. It doesn't matter what the product is because the practice is all the same. As I tell people, the facts change. You run a nursery, so you run an auto supply. You, the facts change, but the truths are universal. Guy's buying uh, oil for his car. Hey, you know, you really should check your oil filter. By the way, do you have a gasket for that? Hey, do you have the right wrench? And all of a sudden you turn an $8 sale into a $20 sale. People don't think about that. They so just the think business about how owner, many people... I mean, this is huge. Like the business owner needs to define what they want and it has to be very precise. It just can't be more customers. It has to be specific, increasing that's, the check size, the average. That's ticket. absolutely right. And how do you increasing get the... to the sales guy to also be aligned and, and execute on that strategy? Well, in the restaurant business, it's easy because we just added 50 bucks to the check. If the customer is leaving 15 to 20%, that's an additional $10 in the pocket of the server. Sure. I always made the most tips in the restaurant because I understood it and I was nice to people, but I knew how to do that. I wasn't upselling. I was offering them something to enhance their experience. Look, they're giving you a piece of plastic. It doesn't matter what the thing costs. It's not like they only have X amount of cash in their pocket, right? Sure. Um, if you go into the, the auto supply place, you want to do a good job. I don't want to just buy wax. I want the polish and the compound. I want to do the right job. I'm happy to spend the money if I'm an enthusiast. Again, it doesn't matter what the business is. What matters is the mindset. But to your point, what matters the most, Patrick, is knowing what the business wants. Yes. <laughs> do we want more customers who spend less money, meaning we want volume. We want them in and out. We don't care if they hang around, buy more because we want them out because we want another customer to buy the, you know, let's say the burger, fries, and soda is X amount. The additional apple pie is a little bit. I'd rather get them the hell out and get someone else in who buys burger, fries, and soda. So sometimes you want more customers who actually spend less money. Sometimes you want fewer customers who spend more because if you have a better quality restaurant, bringing in more customers kind of ruins the service opportunities. But it, it doesn't matter what those things are. You have to decide, you as the franchisee, you decide for your own demographics, your own avatar, your own location, what you want. But if you don't know, you can't execute. And if you don't know, you certainly can't train your people to do it. And if you don't train your people to do it, you can't go leave and open another operation because your first one is not humming on all cylinders. So I know I'm totally mixing my metaphors between cars and gardening <laughs> and restaurants, but, but as I said- It's all it, business at the end of the day. It's all business. And how, I mean, we have clients at Vetted Biz that wanna do like a fitness or, or like a little small coffee shop, but then we go in the numbers and they see that it's gonna take six, eight years to return their capital where some of these less sexy junk removal type businesses or flooring type business, you can get your money back in two years, three years max. That can be a little difficult for some business owners because they're not, they, they, they're more passionate about 
like you said, uh, uh, food and cooking, or they want to be in a nice environment. How can someone drive purpose and get excited about working in a business that they're not passionate about the industry? They're not passionate about the, the business overall. Well, there's a number of ways, but it, it depends on both the company selling the concept, how they've packaged it, and it depends on the people who are buying it. You mentioned uh, return on investment, and you mentioned passion, and you mentioned purpose. I call it the three Ps, which is passion, purpose, and pay. And pay <laughs> is return on investment, I like that. right? Or it can be, listen, I want to be around other musicians, or I want to be around people who work out regularly so that I get paid by making people feel better about themselves by losing weight. It's okay with me if I don't get my return on investment in two or three years. I'm willing to get it in five because that matters to me. That's not a decision you can make for them. You can only show them what the options are, right? Passion, it's not necessarily are you passionate about the function? Yes, I am passionate about hair, so taking care of beauty and products. So I want to, I want to buy a hair, you know, a hair uh, salon. Or I'm passionate about about working out, so I want to buy a Pilates studio. But you could also be passionate about business. My dad was a developer. Then he opened restaurants. My dad couldn't boil an egg. He was a <laughs> terrible cook. In fact, in the Air Force, they used to eat this disgusting thing of raw eggs with torn up rye bread shoved in them. I don't know why. And when my mom was out of town, that's what my dad would give us for breakfast. My dad couldn't cook. But he used to say that the key to his success in the restaurant business was he didn't care about the food. So he would hire a chef or he would hire, you know, the cooks and he would consult with them and they would figure out where the food cost was and where they could make money and what the product quality needed to be. And he didn't care. Different, but my dad then opened T-shirt stores. You know the uh, the, the press-ons where they would put custom messaging. My dad was passionate about business. He wasn't. He was a serial entrepreneur. He wasn't passionate about restaurants. And he, as I said, he claimed that his success in the restaurant business was he didn't care about the restaurant. He cared about the business. So he would have been passionate about anything you gave him. If you would have given him a waste removal business, he would have dug the hell out of it because it would have been the best waste removal business in the world. So then the next question is that you, uh, you have to determine what your purpose is. Mm -hmm. And that also is as flexible and as customizable as the people who are listening to your podcast. Is your purpose to excel in your area? Again, you love pets, you love animals, you want to open a pet store. You love food, you want to open a restaurant or you want to open a grocery store or whatever. Is that your purpose? Is your purpose to provide jobs for people? Maybe you believe that the reason we're here is to make other people's lives better. And so I'm going to open, a, to use your term, a waste removal business or a janitorial service, because then I can take people who don't have education, who maybe didn't come to the country with any assets. Maybe they don't speak the language, but I can give them a real job where they can make real money. And by the way, I can provide other benefits. I can provide healthcare benefits. I can provide medical benefits. I can maybe have an ESL program for them, English as a second language. Uh, you know, they say the, the, the definition of a, of a leader is someone who creates other leaders. Hmm. So if your passion is to be a leader, then maybe opening a janitorial service or a landscaping service or whatever makes sense because it meets your passion. If, pa if your purpose, rather, if your purpose is to be as rich as you can be, 
that's another thing to do. If your purpose is to have a lifestyle business where you can leave at five and go home and be with your children. And I have no judgment. I have no dog in this hunt, right? I've created my life the way I want it to be. I don't think it makes sense for others to look at someone who's decided I'm going to work 24 seven because I want to be rich, or I'm only going to work five hours a day because I have all these other things I want to do or whatever. Find a business that fits your, your three P's, passion, purpose, and pay. But it goes back to the same idea of you can't sell until you know what you want. You can't buy until you know what you want either. So to buy a business that has an eight-year return or a five-year return or a three-year return. By the way, some people don't want a return. Some people want to use it as a way to have tax benefits or to use up cash. I mean, there's as many people out there, well, as there are people out there, right? There's as many reasons as there are people. But if you don't know what it is, how can you make a good decision? What do they say? If you don't ask the right question, the answers don't matter. I believe you have to ask the questions first, know the answers, and then go out and find what fits. Well said and well summarized. I love that. Passion, purpose, pay. It's like the, it's confused with the PPP, payroll protection program, but you coined yeah, it. It has first. nothing to do with it. However, <laughs> if you use my version of it, then you got to give me credit. If you use yeah. the other one, you can give the government credit. Um, well, Bruce, this has been awesome. In closing, what data or information is most important to you for your decision-making or even you can extend that to a franchisee operating a business. There's two sides. There's the business and there's the marketing. So sure. in business, I need to know revenue. I need to know what the revenue is. I need to know what the average transaction cost is. Someone comes into your business and they spend money. How much do they spend? Average. Nobody knows that. It blows my mind. What is your average customer spend? I go, well, some people spend $8 and some people spend $100. Okay, well, what's the average of that? It's 108 divided by two, it's 50. So your transaction cost is $54, right? They don't know that. Then I need to know what is the lifetime value of a customer? Because you spend a lot of money to get customers in your door, but what are they worth to you? Not one sale, but recurring sales. And if you tell me, that my average transaction cost and my lifetime value of a customer is the same thing, I know what your problem is, right? You have no retention. Yeah. And the amazing thing is we spend a fortune on acquisition, couponing programs, outreach programs, marketing, advertising, social media, and we spend almost nothing on retention. And it's insane. So I want to see your average lifetime benefit be much, much higher than transaction costs because it's transaction, single average transaction multiplied times the number of visits over a lifetime. If you don't know what that is, how can you plan? And there's a big advantage when you're buying a franchise. They know what it is. They may not tell you because most people don't ask for it. I always would. I would always tell our customers, I mean, our potential customers, our potential franchisees, look, your average customer is going to spend X and they visit us because most of our customers were in shopping centers, right? So mm -hmm. employees in the shopping centers were enormous customers of ours. They're there every day. If we can get them to come three days a week, and yes. we can get them to come one more day. So, and they're going to keep that job for two years. We knew what the average transaction cost was. And we knew what the lifetime transaction revenue was. And because of that, um, we were able really to figure out if we're going to do couponing, if we're going to offer special packages, 
if we're going to offer two for ones, because we knew what that would buy us. So on the, on the business side, those are the questions, the info I need. On the marketing side, I need to know two things. Who is your customer and what do they care about? I don't care at all about your business. What I care about is the customer. What do they want? What will they pay you for? Because then we can figure out how to build a messaging strategy that talks directly to them. I mean, it's why my last book was titled All About Them. Stop thinking about yourself. Start thinking about them. What do they want? How can we deliver? Well said, Bruce. Are there any concluding thoughts that you have for those on, on the podcast or, or watch those watching on uh, the YouTube video? Well, I would suggest that because we're really talking here about franchises, understand that in a real laboratory environment, purchasing a franchise means that every franchisee has the same product, has the same systems, has the same opportunity. Of course, there's vagaries of market, of location, of language, of pricing, of competition, and on and on. But essentially, everyone starts with the same thing, yet some are incredibly successful and some are not. And so the question then begs the answer, why? The answer is, I think, a combination of two things. What, how good the system is and how well you follow it, including picking location, pricing strategy, and on and on. And then what you bring to the table that's extra. Because you can walk into two identical franchise locations and have, an, have the same product, the same service, the same pricing, certainly the same decor and the same environment, but you can have a very different experience based on the personality and the requirements of the owner or the operator. And that's the one thing we can all change, right? We can't change everything around us, but we can change ourselves. And so what do you bring to the table? What I always used to tell my clients is good brands make people feel good, but great brands make people feel good about themselves. How can you make someone feel good about coming to your franchisee, whether it's donuts or a dollar store? Irrelevant. The experience they have is completely up to the mood set by the operator. Yeah, it seems like it's contagious culture. It can be, or can it be. can be, or it can be, um, it can be contagious good, or it can be contagious bad. Well, Bruce, this has been an awesome discussion. I think a lot of people that are current franchisees, would-be franchisees, even franchisors, a lot of franchisors are, are listening to our podcast. They can get a lot of value out of this. And I'll leave a link to your most recent book. Is that Thank all you. there is? As well as to your website. And for those franchisors, especially if you're having franchisee conventions and you're interested in a keynote speaker, Bruce could be a good keynote speaker to have. I would love to come keynote at your event and I'm easy <laughs> to find. My website is my name, bruceturkel.com. My email is my name, bruce at bruceturkel.com. So uh, drop me a line, give me a call. My phone number is on my website. I could email whatever you want. You can find me. Perfect. Again, Bruce, thanks so much for, for joining today. Thank you, Patrick. It's been an honor. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. If you found today's learnings helpful for your entrepreneurial endeavors, I encourage you to follow us on our Vetted Biz YouTube channel. Also, 
Our podcast episodes are available on every major podcast network. This includes Spotify, Google, and Apple. For Apple Podcasts, you can actually leave us up to a five-star rating and also give comments to see what type of feedback you'd like to see for future episodes. If you prefer, email me at patrick at vettedbiz.com with any questions, feedback, or suggested topics for future podcast episodes. Thanks again for listening today.